morning we're going to focus on Christmas. We're going to read the Bible story from Luke chapter 1 about Mary and the announcement to Mary and uh, Elizabeth. But you know, we have a habit, at least I have a habit, and those around me have a habit of focusing on the wrong thing. Do you ever focus on the wrong thing and you realize that your focus is off, you're not focusing on what you ought to be? I don't don't remember this. Uh, It's a personal story. My mom and dad tell me about it. And uh, so, hey, if I get it wrong, it's what I remember you telling me. Uh, they, they took me to the circus. And I was four or five years old, maybe, at the time. And there were all the circus stuff. I assumed there were the tigers and the lions and the elephants and the train dogs and the horses and the clowns and the flying trapeze artists and cotton candy and popcorn and, and all the stuff you expect to find at a circus. It was one of those circuses, you know, that come to a small town or medium-sized town. Uh, we were living in Texas at the time. Uh, you know, they have a tent and a field and all the attractions of a three-ring circus. And you, you ought to be focusing on something you would look at and see on, on this circus. And my dad tells me that uh, he found me, the first thing I got excited about, he says, I was looking at an anthill, and I said, hey, Dad, look at the ants. I was focusing on ants instead of elephants and tigers. Uh, sometimes we just get our focus on the wrong things. We're not focusing on what we ought to be or, or, or the main thing. In, in Nome, Alaska, the teachers who, who teach in Nome, Alaska, they receive the same uh, teaching materials, instruction manuals that uh, children, that teachers all over the, the country receive. And this fourth grade teacher, who was a newcomer to Alaska, had just received her, her latest uh, publications as, as a teacher. And uh, there was suggestions in there for a Christmas pageant for the kiddos. And so uh, she was discussing the suggestions for this Christmas pageant with the kids. And the manual read this. For the children playing Santa's reindeer, there should be brown outfits and passable reindeer horns could be made of the bare branches of trees trimmed to the proper shapes and painted. And the teacher looked out the window of the classroom at the barren landscape, snow-covered, treeless, not a tree in sight. And she just kind of said, children, I guess we'll have to do something else because we can't make horns of branches because there isn't a tree around here for miles. The children looked disappointed. And then one little boy spoke up and said, teacher... We don't have any trees, but we have lots of reindeer horns. (laughs) You know, they were focusing on the wrong thing. They were focusing on what the instructions were instead of what the meaning was, that they needed reindeer reindeer horns. And sometimes we just miss things because we focus on the wrong things. 
And sometimes we just miss the focus. And when we come to Christmas, the focus is on Jesus. Should be on Jesus. The the bumper sticker says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we need to remember that. We need to focus on Jesus. Let's look at the Bible story. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. Now, it says that she was engaged. Uh, Their engagement was less than being married, but more than our engagement. The the betrothal that it talks about was something that lasted for for a year and could be broken only by divorce. And, and she was a meditator. It says she pondered this thing in her heart. She reflected on the angel's message. And so she was focusing on, on that message. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now can you imagine, just imagine what we're seeing here. What, what, a, what a scene this is. It's a miraculous scene. An angel shows up, tells a young girl who's, who's not married, uh, who is a virgin, that she's going to have a baby. Tells her what to name the baby. Uh, tells him who the, the baby is going to be. And, well, Mary has questions, wouldn't you? And she said, verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? She didn't say, How can this be that an angel's talking to me? She says, How can this be that I'm going to have a baby? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I just want you to know that in my copy of this scripture that I copied here into my sermon, I have that sentence in bold. That's a bold sentence. Behold the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. God, whatever you say, I'm your slave. Whatever you want, I will do what you've asked me to do. You know, that, that's, a, that's an incredible statement. Here's the announcement. You're going to have a baby. 
a shocker to a young, unmarried, virgin teenager. Her question, how can this happen? The answer, it's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be a holy child. And here's her willingness to obey. I'm your slave. I'm your bondservant. Let it happen according to your word. Now, you know, when, when you think about this, there are a lot of things that could have kept Mary from focusing on the main thing. Uh, you know, just think about it. We have a lot of anthills to keep us from focusing on the main show. Focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. You know, and that's a great topic at Christmas time when there are so many things that try to horn in on the real meaning, especially a Christmas like this one when I know there's going to be disappointment. There's going to be disappointments in families. There's going to be disappointment. You know, there's disappointment in our family. You know, our, our whole Christmas celebration is, is, is going to be different than probably the, than it's ever been before uh, because there's so many things in 2020 that, that are crashing in around us. But it's a good thing for us to remember this year and year-round as other things creep in, they're trying to take our focus away from Jesus Christ. Don't let your focus move away from the reason for the season. So just a couple of things to remember. Number one, focus on the plan and not the procedure. What's the most important part of Christmas that we need to focus on? If I were to ask you, what's the most important part of Christmas? What makes Christmas Christmas to you? I wonder what you would say, if you were being honest, what you would say. The Barna Research Group conducted a study for the Lutheran Hour, and it found that fewer than half of Americans who identify themselves as Christians say that the most important part of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. You can probably guess what ranked first. Family. Time with family. Getting together with family. Ranked as the highest feature of Christmas that makes it so important to them. And that's part of what we're going to miss this year is what most people think is the most important part of Christmas. You know, we're going to have a Christmas without family. You know, Josh is in Florida. Nathan and Amy are going to stay home this year uh, in uh, Austin. Jennifer talked to him this morning. And, uh, the, you know, they've just made that statement. They're going to stay home. Uh, Amy has had a COVID exposure at work. And she and Derek and the kids are in quarantine until at least Saturday. Well, that's past Christmas. Uh, so it's just Jen and me. Maybe we'll be able to Zoom and FaceTime somebody, you know, to, to uh, uh, you know, we're getting used to Zooming to, to have some family time. So we're going to miss family, but that's not the reason. That's not the, shouldn't be the focus. Christmas is more than just a holiday, a neat story, a religious event. Christmas is God's plan for his world. Mary says, how can this be? She's like, she's like us. All of a sudden, she's worried about the procedure. But she ponders and she meditates, it said, on God's message from the heavens. 
And it's easy to focus on the procedures for Christmas. We've been focusing on those, haven't we? All the trappings, the shopping, the decorations, the entertaining, planning for family, for those who have family that are going to be around. All those things that command our focus. But we could take a page from Mary's experience and ponder on the plan instead of the procedure. God's plan at Christmas was very simple. The angel told it to Joseph as it's recorded in Matthew. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Guys, that's the plan. That's what we focus on. Jesus is the plan of Christmas, the plan of salvation at Christmas. He's going to save us from our sin. When Jesus was born in the manger, it was to die for us. So don't focus on the holiday and then fail to focus on Jesus Christ, your Savior. Mary ponders these things in her heart. Here's the second thing. First, focus on the plan, not the procedure. Second, focus on the giver, not the gift. Focus on the giver, not the gift. And the angel tells us how to do that. How do we change our focus from the gift to the giver? Mary wants to understand, and it's understandable. She wants to understand all about this baby. How can this be? It doesn't match with reality. But the angel tells us how. Here's how you focus on the giver in verse 37. The angel says, here's how this can be. It's God's. God's doing it. With God, all things are possible. Now, Mary knew this. After all, she was a devout young Jewish maiden. She knew that God had a reputation for doing the impossible. The Jewish history is full of God doing the impossible. Every year of her young life at Passover, she had heard the story of Israel coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea on dry land while escaping Pharaoh. She knew how they had survived crossing the desert. She knew all the miracles that happened that we just talked about when we were studying Moses just a couple of weeks ago. She knew how they had survived. She knew how after incredible odds they had conquered the Holy Land. She knew all of that. She knew all the stories of, of the temple and, the, and, and David and, and Goliath and, and, and Saul and the Philistines. She knew all those stories. She had heard them all her life. She knew that God was a God who had a reputation of doing the impossible. But come on, just like you, those are all history. Those are all theology. That's all what you do at church. This is real. This is now. But the angel directs her focus from the gift to the giver and says, even in your life, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And I would say to you in your life, nothing is impossible with God. God can do whatever, whatever he chooses. And so we need to direct, redirect our focus from the gift to the giver. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to focus on what we need to not focus 
on what we face, or even on the gift that would solve the problem, we need to focus on the God who can do anything. You know, Mary is a model disciple in her whole life, her whole lifetime. Catholic theology has elevated Mary to a godlike stature. You know, they, they, they pray to her, they worship her. Uh, they say she was born of a virgin also. Uh, and as a result of that, as a, as a backlash to that, the uh, reformers, you know, de-emphasized Mary big time. And, and a lot of times in, in our churches, in our background, in our religious traditions, you know, we, we have de-emphasized Mary almost to the point of disregarding her. But, you know, that's not the right step either. She was and remains the model for being a disciple. You know, she modeled humility in answering God's call without doubt or without dispute. She doesn't argue with God. She just says, I'm your bond slave. I'll do whatever you ask. She modeled her faith in God's providence, even though it wasn't in her plan or according to any plan she had ever heard of. She accepted God's plan. This is God's providence. This is God's will for me. She modeled a theologian's ability to ponder the mysteries of God and the truths of God in her heart and in her mind. And then later on in life, uh, after the, the resurrection, she modeled prayer in her leadership role in Acts 1 prayer meeting. She was a, a leader in that prayer meeting that it previewed Pentecost she modeled being a spirit-filled Christian manifested here in, in, uh, in her Magnificat, her, her praise of God. And she was present at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit fell upon the church. She modeled faithfulness because even in the face of persecution, first, as she confronted the mockery of her pregnant condition and the shame of her son's death on the cross. She was faithful. She was steadfast. She models steadfastness. She was at the cross and she remained at the cross. Even when the dream team, the disciples' dream team, disappeared, Mary modeled steadfastness by remaining at the cross. And, and one other thing, she, she, she modeled what a relationship with Jesus can mean when at the wedding at Cana, her own, the only thing she ever asked Jesus to do she didn't really ask him, she just told him the situation. And then she told the servants at the wedding, you do whatever he tells you. Because she knew Jesus could handle the situation. You know, we ought to do whatever Jesus tells us. Whatever God's word tells us. That's what a relationship 
with Jesus means. You know, there are a lot of people who dispute the facts of Christmas. I was listening to a radio show, a radio interview, where the interviewee disputed all the facts that we know about Christmas. Uh, Just said, I have trouble believing these things could happen. Angels talking to shepherds? I have trouble believing that can happen. Wise men seeing the birth and the stars far from Bethlehem and traveling to Bethlehem. And by the way, they said it couldn't have been in Bethlehem. It wasn't in Bethlehem anyway. And it wasn't on December the 25th. And, and there wasn't a census and, and there wasn't a tax. And how could there be a virgin birth? He was disputing all of that. But the truth is, when you start looking at those things, you're focusing on the wrong thing. If you believe in God, you don't have to worry about all those things. Because with God, what? Nothing is impossible. God can do it any way he wants to. So so think about it for a minute. What what is the problem that that you're facing? What, What do we face? What gift do we need? We need to take time to look away from the problem, to look away from the gift to the giver and just say nothing's too difficult for God. With God, all things are possible. So we focus on the giver, not the gift. And the third thing, we focus on the message and not the mess. That's not an easy thing. It's easy to focus on the mess. In today's text, both Elizabeth and Mary find they're in the middle of a mess. Elizabeth is beyond childbearing age yet she finds herself pregnant with her first child. She's overwhelmed with feelings of joy, but there's also the mess, the anxiety. She has a child at last to love and care for. And when she says in her mind, I have one to care for, that care for, suddenly Elizabeth realizes that in her old age, she's going to be expected to take care of all the duties of motherhood that it takes a young person to take care of. And those of you who've been mothers know what that job is. It's exhilarating, but it's exhausting. And so Mary Elizabeth's in a mess. How she, can she do it? How can she manage? Is she up to it? Her anxiety level must have been running high. But think about the mental state of Mary. It must have been even more disheveled. Like Elizabeth, she was unexpectedly pregnant. Her betrothed, but not quite yet husband, Joseph, was confused and maybe a little upset. And Mary was young and poor, and this was not in her plan. She had been anticipating setting up a household with Joseph because they were betrothed. She was going to marry him. But she was going to establish herself in her new role as a wife and then hopefully in the future becoming a mother. Instead, she finds herself having to cope with the reality of this astounding visit by an angelic messenger, the shocking realization that she was indeed pregnant, and the stunning news about the identity of this baby she carried 
Mary finds herself in a mess. And look at the facts. The story of the incarnation as we know them. Jesus was born where? In a stable. A small, cramped, congested, messy place. And Jennifer and I, in fact, last January, went to the, to the manger scene at the uh, uh, Church of the Holy Nativity in Bethlehem. And it's a beautiful place. But it wasn't a beautiful place then. It was a barn. It was a stable. And a newborn baby was out of place, out of sync, amid the animals, the dusty animals, the mucky straw, the sneaky vermin that are around the, the grain and the spilled grain and all the unusual smells and sounds and sights found in a stable. What a mess! But in the middle of that mess is the message of Christmas. There is no stable. There is no place in our world. There is no place in our lives that is too poor, too remote, too outcast, too other, too messy, that God cannot be found there and formed there. And I would say to you, there is nothing that can happen in 2020 that God cannot be in, that God cannot work through. And as Christmas approaches and we find ourselves at our wit's end running out of time and patience and money and ideas and facing Christmas in a 2020 world with the demands of work and the responsibilities we bear to take a holiday and keep the pressure up, some of us longing for a more simple time. Don't be fooled into thinking that God can't break into your life and draw close to you, to your heart, just because things seem too messy. We need to focus on the message because there is not a mess too big for God to work in. Open up to it. Exalt in it. Be willing to let the Spirit of God do real things for you and in you. I want to I close this morning with, with the testimony of Anita Wheatcraft. It's a great story. These are her words. Okay, I'm going to be reading her words. She said, It happened in a large church in New York City where I grew up. During an annual nativity pageant, the church was especially full. Hushed in darkness, the congregation watched the lighting of the candles. Toward the back, I sat, one timid little girl with my family. Newly moved to the city after a family separation and trauma, my life had settled down, but I was still overwhelmed and homesick for my grandparents and familiar friends. That night, however, caught up in awe as organ music rolled out from balcony to rafters, I heard a familiar story I loved and was transported to another time and place. Down the aisle swept a colorful procession as the lights went up, revealing the magnificent manger scene, travelers, bearded shepherds, and finally the three kings bearing gifts advanced majestically. 
And before anyone knew it, I found myself following them. The journey down that long aisle was an early spiritual pilgrimage for me, yet it felt like kind of homecoming. When I reached the manger scene, there were a sleepy donkey, real sheep, and Mary and Joseph beneath an angel with outstretched wings. Above all, there was a light in the manger, enfolding us in its glow, kneeling in front of it. I had the sense of exaltation, of self-offering, as real as any I have ever known. This was real to me, and I was there. Of course, it didn't last long. I was lifted to my feet by an usher and carried back down the aisle, back to my embarrassed family, and the pageant swept on. I was vaguely aware of subdued smiles and my parents' whispered scolding, but it didn't matter. My discovery was my own. I had something now that no one could ever take from me. I had been to Bethlehem. And I had seen it all for the first time, and I would never forget it. She looked past the mess and saw the message. She was just a little girl. It's the wonder of Christmas through the eyes of a child. She forgot the circumstances around her, and she focused on her journey to Bethlehem. It's great. It's the mess of Christmas, and we can still see the message. And I would say to you, even in the uncertainty and the disruption of a year such as this and the difficulties of today, we can still look past the gift at the giver. We can still look at the plan and not the procedure, and we can still see the message and not the mess. God was at work in Bethlehem. God was at work in Nazareth. God was at work in Bethlehem. And God is at work here. Nothing has ever been found that's too difficult for God.